everyone. Welcome to the New City Church Podcast, and welcome today to episode number 17 of Ask Pastor Joel. Each week, we take questions concerning the previous week's sermon from New City Church, or just a burning biblical question that's weighing on someone's heart. And yes, back in the studio today, I have Pastor Joel. Hey, man. What's going on? Austin. How's your day today? Uh, It was good. Uh, A little little bit low-key compared to the last couple weeks, so yeah, good. It's good. Ready to get back into another question today? Oh, yeah. Ready to go. Let's do it. Okay. So our question today comes from Mr. Anonymous. Again, or Mrs. Anonymous. <laughs> um, their question is, what is the millennium and what does, uh, when does it take place? How does it affect us now? My pastor and I don't agree on it. Should we not be friends anymore? <laughs> uh yeah, let's start with that last part first. Definitely unfriend your pastor. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. This is good. It's fitting on the tail end of the last question we had uh, about the rapture and the pregnant woman, that scenario. So, yeah, um, let's uh, let's dive in. So we're going to have to start in Revelation 20. We want to go to a place in, tech, in the scriptures where it brings up the millennium. And so I'll just read that first. Uh, Revelation 21 through 3 says... Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for 1,000 years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the 1,000 years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So, we see this number uh, 1,000 in Revelation chapter 20, and that's what a millennium is. A millennium is 1,000, a 1,000-year period. And uh, there is a, in this text, there's a period of time that John the Apostle records when he's writing to the seven churches. Remember, that's, the, that's what's actually happening here in Revelation. This is a, a letter written to seven churches. Some of the church today and through history, understands this to mean a literal 1,000 years. So that's, first of all, that's the period of time we're talking about, this section of 1,000 years when the enemy is locked away and when there is a reign or a relative period of of peace. Uh, So some have considered that to be a 1,000-year literal period of time just after uh, the return of Jesus Christ, and this would be what is called the premillennial view. So we're trying to think, think when is the millennium, so that's what we're answering. Um, I'm just going to basically give the three views, and then I'll share what my current view is. Um, so this would, what I just described is the premillennial view, Christ returning before the 1,000-year period, um, and this is the most popular view. There's a spinoff of this, which is a pretty new interpretation and it's called the premillennial dispensational view. And so it is still into the, under the understanding that Christ returns before the 1,000-year literal period. But this is understanding that there is a future dispensation, a dealing of God with his people, um, a dispensation in which God, after removing the church through a secret rapture, which we talked about last time, and that is a unique viewpoint only to the dispensationals, that there is a secret rapture that should be taken note of, and also the fact that the dispensational view is a fairly new understanding of eschatology. 
But after removing the church in his secret rapture, he directs his redemptive gaze back to Israel and saves them, many of them, um, from out of each of the 12 tribes during this uh, seven-year tribulation period after the secret rapture. And it's during this time that God also pours out his judgment on the unbelieving earth and uh, for seven years allows a dictatorship of a final antichrist and world leader. And then, and then the seven years complete, Christ returns with those who, he, who had died and who he had raptured previously and then sets up a literal 1,000-year kingdom earthly kingdom on this earth. This, again, is a extremely popular view, popularized by books and movies and all sorts of things, and I would say even more so popularized by books and movies than by Scripture itself. Arguably, I think you can make that case. If you disagree, that's fine. You can email me or blast me on social media. I don't really care. Thank you, Left Behind. Yeah, thank you, Left Behind, and so many more, and Hal Lindsey and the late great planet, planet Earth and all these uh, prophecy things. Prophecy is good. There's biblical prophecy, but there are people, I think, that who have contributed to this popularity, and it hasn't simply been by people reading their Bibles. Um, and again, that might sound harsh, but I really think that's the case. Um, it's a unique viewpoint in that it puts God's redemptive plan in two rescue boats, okay? And I wanted to talk about this again. It just gives, gives me a chance to uh, elaborate a little bit. One of those rescue boats is for the church before the tribulation, and the other is for the believing Israel and others who come to faith. <laughs> and others who come to faith during the seven years. I don't see that division of or separation of plans in Scripture. I, I just I don't see it. We see one bride, one church, one group of Jews and Gentiles who are brought together under the redemptive work of Christ into one sheepfold through faith in Jesus, and then gathered up at the judgment and resurrection at the end of all things. So then there's two other views. So we had the premillennial view that says that Christ returns before the millennium. So that would place the 1,000 years as a literal period after the return of Christ. And then you have two other popular views other than the premill and the premill dispensation. You have, and that's called the amillennial view and the postmillennial view. And they can be uh, oftentimes very similar, but there's some um, subtle distinctions, I guess. And one of them has an unfortunate name because amillennials uh, means no millennium. But no amillennial believes that there is no reign of Christ. That, so it's not a really good uh, term, but it is what it's called. Um, and these are becoming more popular lately. And I'm actually grateful because I grew up in an age where none of these things were taught to me. And I don't think that that's wise. I don't think it's wise for churches to, in order to get people to believe what the pastor believes, that they just don't teach them the other views. It's just not not very kind. It's not right. Um, these are these are views within orthodoxy that have been taught and believed by many good, solid, faithful Christians and scholars. And so people are becoming more vocal about it and writing books about it, and, and there's good things happening. But So I'm a recent convert to post-millennialism, certainly didn't grow up that way, um, but happening shortly around the time that we were... Or, pretty recently after preaching through Daniel and while preaching through Daniel a couple summers ago. And so this view sees the 1,000 years as not a literal period of time, but simply as a long period of time after the ascension of Jesus and ending with his return. So a long period of time from the ascension of Christ till he does finally return is this reign, this 1,000 years. Now, some people would say, well, well, what happened to the 1,000 years? Well, it's Scripture is often using numbers to just simply state periods of time, not always literal. Um, the Scripture says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
I would say he probably owns all of the hills, but the thousand there is used to get the reader to realize that it's a lot of hills, <laughs> um, not literal. And and some people say, well, that's not what a horrible argument. It's just an argument stating that when the Bible uses the word thousand, it doesn't have to mean literal. It could be. I could be wrong in all this, and the pre-mill dispensational could be the right view, That's and that's fine. But... Um, this, again, it's, it's not a literal thousand years, and it's a long period of time from Jesus' ascension to his return. This view sees Christ as literally reigning right now over his kingdom. It's a present reign where he's reigning today, and that he ushered in while he was here on this earth. So when did the millennial reign in that view start? It happened, um, well, it be, the reign began with Christ's coming to this earth, but then his coronation took place at his ascension. The king came, set his foot on the earth, began preaching the kingdom, and then he was crowned king, essentially, as he, when he took the throne. So this view sees Christ as literally reigning now over his kingdom. And uh, again, we know he took the throne in heaven 2,000 years ago, or approximately. Um, this view is an incredibly optimistic view, one thing that I really do love about it, um, because post-millennial people generally see the Great Commission as a guaranteed success. The Because Christ reigns and has ascended and is reigning and is sitting on the throne, the nations will be discipled and won to Jesus before he returns. This work must be done before the return of Christ. The Son of God, as Scripture prophesies, will receive the nations as an inheritance. All the nations won to him uh, and discipled for his glory. So, and in that reign, believers go out and share Christ in this world with a present reigning authority given to us from a king who sits on the throne right now. So the millennium, in this case, is a spiritual reign through the church, and we are his ambassadors going into the world, calling the lost to worship the king. We're literally going out into the world, as Jesus said, calling people, worship King Jesus. He is the king right now. So through the work of the cross, so what about the binding of Satan? Through the work of the cross, Satan is bound. As Scripture tells us that he was defeated and actually tells us he was disarmed. All the authorities were disarmed. There is still evil in the world um, and the influence of Satan, but it cannot and will not overcome the church, which lines up with what Jesus tells Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It is impossible. Um, one major Game changer for me was Daniel 7. So I wanted to share a couple pieces from that. This is a little bit of a longer episode, but that's okay. Um, so Daniel 7, a couple places that this really helped uh, solidify this for me, um, is in Daniel 7, 9. Uh, this says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. So this, of course, is describing, a, this is a prophecy of Daniel seeing future from his day, but I believe past from our day. Not future from our day, future from Daniel and the Jews that were in captivity, past for us that he was seeing a time when judgment was going to take place on this great horn that was speaking great words, a, a world leader. Uh, a little bit later in the chapter, it says in verse 13, Then I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and, the, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Language of incredible victory. But what did, what did we notice? We notice language that Jesus himself used in the New Testament. When speaking before the authorities, we see these words, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. When Jesus declared himself to be the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven, he wasn't talking about the rapture of the church, where he would come partway and gather his church up to the clouds. That's not what he was talking about, because Daniel's interpretation is literally that this Son of Man, his traveling was actually ascension. It was upward. He was going to the Ancient of Days that he had previously seen, surrounded by all these worshipers. This is not the return of Christ being spoken of, but the ascension of Christ. And what happens at the ascension of Christ? Dominion is given. Glory, a kingdom, is given to him. And so, yeah, then you look further down, and it just gets even better and better. Verse 23 of the same chapter, Daniel 7, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, we shall, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of the kingdoms, out of the kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down the three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change their times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, and be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. So when you look at this in the context of Daniel, I, I, I just have a hard time thinking that this is some future kingdom because Daniel was looking to give hope to the Jews in captivity, saying that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to destroy that final Roman kingdom. That one with dictators, that one that was trampling out the people of God, and that Christ, through his ascending work, would become, uh, would become king, coronated, and dominion would be given. So that's one interpretation. Um, that's what I believe is, seems to be extremely, uh, seems to be accurate, according to Scripture, um, does this affect us? Does it affect us where, where the kingdom is placed or the millennial kingdom is placed? And well, I don't know how it could not affect us when Jesus is reigning. When, when is that time where he comes and he reigns on earth? Now, I'm not saying that all dispensational premillennial uh, believers are saying that Christ isn't reigning right now. I don't know any Christian that says Christ isn't reigning. But there does seem to be a waiting for him to reign in some other way. This is our hope of victory right now in this world that we live in, the reign of Christ right now, that he reigns. He's, never, he's not going to reign in a greater way over the earth than he is in his victorious state, having ascended and sitting on the throne. My, my hope, and I don't say this in a degrading way, my hope, I'm speaking personally, is not in a rapture or in a rescue that is coming later. Again, I'll say that and then say, well, if the premillennial view is right, I'm not going to have like this resistance in me if we suddenly start being raptured, like, ah, put me back. Not, I, I'm fine if I'm wrong, but I, but I also just, I'm trying to be as biblical as I can and not swayed by emotions or some childhood doctrine that was taught to me. 
I'm, I think we all need to wrestle with Scripture and, and say what we say based on what we read in Scripture. Um, but I believe that the hope of the church is the resurrection of the body. That's the hope of the church, that what's coming is that we will one day fully conquer death, and death will no longer be, and life will reign forever um, because of the resurrection of the saints. And that happens at the end when Christ returns, when he returns finally in judgment. The, the harm that is done to the church in seasons of persecution and darkness are only able to be endured by the fact that we have an inheritance right now, according to Ephesians, in the heavens that is kept for us and cannot fade away, according to Peter as well. This is an eternal inheritance. So for me, believing that the millennium is now uh, in a figurative spiritual sense that right now through the reign of Christ, he is, he is reigning on earth through the church, it doesn't diminish my hope for what's to come. It fills me with more hope because I picture Jesus on his throne right now. And I think of prophecies of Isaiah where the government shall be upon his shoulders. He is our Prince of Peace, our mighty God. These were promises given that were fulfilled when Jesus came. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He, he literally rules and reigns right now over all kings and priests and governors, and, and he is having his way even when it seems dark and grim. So the final millennial view that we didn't really address that has a lot of similarities, it's the amillennial view. It does not really seem all too different from the post-millennial view, except that during this period of time between the ascension and the final return of Christ, the amillennials allow for a gradual decline in morality on the earth that, that consistently declines all the way to the return of Christ when he comes and he reigns and he comes and he conquers and, and then it's all over. And, and so the post-millennial view sees an overall increase gradually of righteousness as the Great Commission takes root and the gospel is preached through to the nations. And it also allows for uh, ebb and flow of success and seeming failure, which we seem to look back over history and we see an increase of Christian influence across the world, but we also see great evil and darkness that seems to have a foothold during certain generations of, of people's lives. So it matters. It does affect how we live right now. It has affected how I have lived in a dark age that we seem to be living in, um, to, to have the hope that Christ is reigning and the gospel continue goes, continually goes out. And regardless of what the media will show you about the success of the church, the church is being successful right now. Um, when I talk to missionaries and people who are uh, leading missions groups and are aware of things that are happening in other places other than America, where the media is bought and paid for by the evil one, um, I mean, I hear of 25,000 churches a year being planted in places like Nepal, you know, I, I, where, where, where missionaries are saying, um, it seems like Christ is going to return in our lifetime based on how many people are getting saved in other places. So you just got to be careful what you read and who you believe um, and what media propaganda you allow to creep into your life. So Jesus reigns right now. And uh, so choose for yourself. What, what you believe, but make sure it's biblical, scriptural. Don't fight about it. Have good conversations, which I've seen some good conversations lately on my Facebook feed, which has been refreshing. So That's awesome. Yeah, I, um, I know of several people um, who just seem to focus so much on, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like the hope in the rapture. It's like, you know, looking so, uh, so hard forward towards the rapture and not like, the fact that, you know, like, I mean, Jesus is 
king right now. He's in control right now. He's reigning right now. But, you know, they're just kind of blinded to that fact, it seems. Um, I, I see it too, man. And, you know, I, again, that, that doesn't, I, I don't think that should say that the premillennial dispensation view is wrong, which, you know, it, like you said, it, it very well could be right. Right. But, yeah, it, it can just blind and uh, prohibit a lot of people from doing things and living for the kingdom now. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'll share one last scripture. When you said that, um, I, I think a lot of uh, premill dispensational uh, believers don't, maybe aren't necessarily taking the scriptures that they've been taught and just going to them with biblical exegesis and saying, okay, is this saying what I've been told that it says? And I, for years, I heard um, pre-trib rapture <clears throat> uh, proponents say that there we are looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus. That's the next great event on the calendar, the rapture. And they would put the rapture combined with those words, the glorious appearing of our Lord, but not even realizing that that's a contradiction in and of itself. N- pre- the, the classic pre-trib view does not see the rapture as an appearing of the Lord at all. They see it as a secret snatching away. The appearing of the Lord is the final return of Christ when he gathers his saints and the resurrection takes place and judgment takes place all at once. And so Titus Titus 2.11 is that place where it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." When I think about the glorious appearing of the Lord, I don't think about the rapture. I don't think of anything secret. I think of something, boom, big, heavy, sudden judgment. The king is coming, and he's going to judge the world when he returns. Um, I don't see that as very secretive or silent. And so I think people just need to be careful not to confuse terminology and make sure you just look at the scriptures that you're being told say something, and I should do the same. I I don't ever want to become a, um, uh, a slave to a pet doctrine but we we just need to be yeah careful and a lot of sincere believers on every one of those viewpoints and one day we'll all be in the presence of Christ and we'll have a grand old time <laughs> and it won't matter it won't matter <laughs> then it won't it matters now but it won't then right yeah yep so um just kind of a, a little plug if if there's anyone listening uh that is you know more uh, curious about you know the millennium or um, just these things, and you know, Joel was uh, reading from Daniel seven earlier. Uh, you can go back, and you know, we had uh, we did a sermon series last summer uh, through Daniel. Um, so if you go back to May and June of 2022, um, we have like three or four different sermons through Daniel seven, um, covering a bunch of those topics. If anyone is interested, so awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope that question was uh, well answered. Um, and if anyone else has a question, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you text us your question to 207-790-1955, and we will answer your questions in future episodes. And we hope you were blessed by today's episode, and if you were, we would love for you to continue to check out episodes like these. So to stay connected with us, make sure you hit the follow or the subscribe button at the top of this page. And also, please make sure to give us a review, as it does help us out a lot with getting this content out on the platforms. So that's all we have for today. We hope you guys have a blessed week and a blessed Labor Day weekend, and we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.